Thank you, Jesus, that you promised that you would be with us even to the end of the age through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we want to open our hearts. We want for our ears to hear. We want to allow you to speak to us in a way that changes our hearts. Thank you for the power of your word. May we truly let it sink in deep. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Holda had a passion for those in need. She, she worked in the area of healthcare. She was actually a director for a nurses association. But not only that, she was also a director for a welfare organization for a Christian denomination. And so in this capacity, she did everything possible in order to help as many people as possible. And when you don't have enough resources, when you want to impact more people, it, it can help to get the government involved. Have you ever experienced that before? Well, the Christian denomination that she was a part of, they got excited about what was happening in their country. In their country, a leader was running for government. And as they analyzed who were the different candidates who were running for office, this is some of the things that they noted about a particular individual who was running for office. They believed at this time, as a Christian denomination, that it was time for strong leadership. And the individual who was running seemed to be the best candidate because of his personal dedication, his abstinence from tea, coffee, alcohol, and meat, and other practices that were shared with this particular Christian denomination. He was welcomed by this denomination as somewhat of a savior. They got excited. They said, hey, this guy, he has what it takes. He can lead our country in a way that will help them to right all of the ills and wrongs in society right now. And so they got behind him. They began to endorse him. And it worked out somewhat well for them because their welfare program was actually adopted by this government and this welfare program. And they had to make a few concessions. They had to make a few changes. They had to, had to make a few compromises about some of their core beliefs. But they were making some progress in that an entire nation was embracing their church and their church's welfare program. In fact, this government began to shut down some churches, some other small denominations, Christian denominations. But this Christian denomination, although for a little while they were, they were uh, told to shut down, eventually they were enabled to have their churches freely opened. It reminds me of a little bit of what we talked about last week, about uh, how Jesus, when he answered Pilate, he answered in such a way that when Pilate said, are you a king? He said, you say, literally in the Greek. And that could be interpreted to say, you say that I am, or you said right that I am. It, it, he may be it's a very ambiguous answer. And he did that intentionally in that moment. How do we handle the culture and the tendency, the trends of the society around us? Look with me at Acts chapter 1. Now this is after what we talked about last week is that the power that Jesus had was the fact that he had a love that didn't stop loving, that he laid down his life, and that that power was able to change hearts. That today, you remember how Napoleon said, Look, I've tried by force to win the world. And yet Jesus, through his love, has millions of followers around the world who are ready to die for him. 
Well, look in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, you find a group of people who who were following Jesus, who knew who Jesus, they knew what Jesus was all about. They had heard his instructions about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They knew Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes to them in verse 4, and it says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This is after Jesus has, has gone to the cross, he's been resurrected, He's accomplished this amazing work that demonstrated his love and accomplished our salvation. And then he said this, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You guys are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus wants for them to grasp. And look at what's on their minds. Verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You catch it? What are they thinking about? Oh, that's great, Jesus, that Holy Spirit stuff. That's cool. But are you at this time going to reestablish our nation? You remember when David was on the throne, when Solomon was on the throne. Are you finally going to reestablish Israel as this powerful nation that no longer is under Roman yoke? And look at Jesus' response. Verse 7, and he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. This is really helpful for me this morning because I want to know what's going on in the world. I want to know how things are going to end. I want to have an idea about everything that's happening in the world. And Jesus is saying, look, the Father has put times and authority, times and seasons in His own authority. And yes, there are signs of the times. Yes, there are evidences. But when it comes down to the exact details of when Jesus is coming back, the Father alone knows. Jesus said that very, very clearly. And He didn't want the disciples wrapped up in what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. He didn't want them wrapped up in their own nationalism. What He wanted them wrapped up in is what he goes on to say, verse 8. But you shall receive power. This is the key, the power that we long for in our lives. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. And how that power will come is through the Holy Spirit who will implant that same selfless love that Jesus had in your hearts. And that will change the world. And I mean, think about what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, so he's answering our question about the kingdom of Israel. Okay, Judea, good, that's good. It's going to go to Judea. It's going to go, wait a second, Samaria? Not, not just Jerusalem and Judea, but Samaria and to the end of the earth? fascinating. I've been rereading through the book of Acts to realize how small the disciples' conception really was of what God had intended for them and what he really wanted to accomplish and what true power looked like in their lives. Well, this Christian denomination was so excited that this welfare, their welfare program was incorporated into this government. They had to make some exceptions, though. You see, this was in Germany, and the individual that they said was a strong, great leader, a savior for the nation who didn't drink tea or coffee or consume meat. You guess who that was? 
Adolf Hitler himself. And this Christian denomination, a small Christian denomination that didn't consume tea or alcohol or eat meat, ended up with their welfare program trying to obey the state's laws. Some of these were, well, no Jews can be a part of your uh, program. And antisocials and undesirables cannot be given welfare. Before long, they were printing negative material about Jews and they were fully embracing the dogma of the nation, the, the propaganda. They went to such an extent that they even began to disfellowship people in their denomination who were Jews, who were born Jews. Can you imagine? This is a Christian denomination who they're so excited about this political leader that they are following full stock into what he has. And in the process, they're forgetting what Jesus is all about. Going to all nations. Jesus is all about reaching the entire world. Well, you'll notice that Jesus is quoting here. Uh, he, he, he says something that John the Baptist had said. You know, John the Baptist, he says, came with baptizing with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist has said the same thing back in Luke chapter 3. If you look in Luke chapter 3 in your Bible, Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, they came to, to, to John saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And so he answered and said, verse, uh, what did I say, verse 15, Verse 16, John answered and saying to all, said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Oh, he's talking about this amazing, powerful leader who's going to come on the scene. Who he's not even willing to—he's he, not even worthy to loose his sandal strap. And he's quoting from the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. He's referring, I should say at least, to one of the last prophecies in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter two and verse seventeen ends with this question. Malachi chapter two and verse seventeen. Now, Malachi is the very last prophet in the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence from the time of Malachi until the time of Jesus, when John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist is the next one that we hear speaking clearly for God. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17 says, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? Something is wrong on the planet. Things are spiraling out of control. Do you feel like that today? Where is the God of justice? Where is the one who's going to make everything right in this world? We need a strong leader. We need a powerful leader who can lead like that. Well, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 answers this question. Where is this God of justice? Verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who's that talking about? That's talking about John the Baptist who came preaching about the baptism that Jesus was later going to do. So it first refers to John the Baptist is going to come. And then it says, and the Lord whom you seek. Now whom are we, who are we talking about? Jesus. We're talking about God himself. Jesus will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Do you delight in God today? 
does this messenger of the covenant, this, this, this one who will fulfill all of the promises of God, the covenant is this beautiful picture throughout the Old Testament of God's faithful love that He continues and continues and continues to pour out on His people and that never changes, that He never stops pursuing His people in love. And we'll see that more as, the, as this chapter goes on. But then look at what it says. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming. Now, as we read through this, this isn't just talking about Jesus' first coming. This also has applications to specifically the times that we're living in now and his second coming and his work in the heavenly sanctuary. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap and will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. When you read that, you're thinking about, oh, this, this powerful being who's going to come and he's going to purge people of evil. And, and when you think about that, I don't know what it is that comes into your mind. But sometimes we have had a tendency as Christians to make a list of things that we think need to be purified from our life that are a lot smaller than the things that God is actually concerned about. I, I mean, Maybe we're worried about things that are bad for our health and that we should be concerned about, but we're not worried about the bigger elements of the law of God. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, look, you, you take your little plant and you pick off the leaves. You take the, the mint and the cumin and you tithe every tenth leaf and you make sure to take that to the temple, but you neglect mercy and justice and the greater parts of the law. Well, it goes on to, to say more specifically what's going to take place. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. <laughs> Do you know when, when we go through the motions and we're simply pretending to be following God, it has some strong words for us in the Bible. But thankfully, God is pursuing us in love. And He doesn't leave us at that point. He wants to do everything possible to win our hearts to full, total commitment to Him. That they may offer, uh, sorry, as will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness. So, so you can kind of get a little picture of what this is like. Like we talked about a couple of weeks. It says, he suddenly will come to his temple. You saw Jesus do this two different times. It happens in John chapter 2, and it happens in the synoptic gospels at the end of Jesus' ministry where Jesus goes into the temple. In John chapter 2, he takes a whip of cords, and he sees that they're abusing the system in that people have traveled long distances. They're foreigners. They've come, and they want to worship God. They want to have a sacrifice. Well, they have to change their money to the temple coin. And in the process, the priests would pad their pockets and the, the, the religious leaders. And then they wanted to offer a sacrifice, so they had to go to the animal traders. And the animal traders knew that they had no other options. And so supply and demand, not too bad for you. They charged the highest price possible. They were extorting from these poor people that wanted to come to worship Jesus. And they were making it difficult to get to Jesus. And Jesus had nothing to do with that. He said he, he walked into the temple two different times at the beginning and the end of his ministry and he cleaned that out and he said, my house is to be a house of prayer for all 
nations, for all people. Everybody is welcome at the table. Well, Malachi goes on to say in verse 5, And I will come near you for swift for judgment. I will be a swift witness. Now notice what he specifies he'll be a witness against. Against sorcerers. Okay, I, I totally get that. Witchcraft is not good. Sorcery is not okay, right? So God is, is not pleased when we're looking for answers from somebody else, when, we, when we're relying on anything else, because it's going to be a painful end for us. Against adulterers. He's been talking about divorce in this chapter and how painful that is to the heart of God. And he says adultery is, is something that I, it, it is totally contrary to my nature of love. And it says against perjurers, those who take false oaths, those who are, are, are standing up as false witnesses. Now, now these things make uh, sound a little bit more like what we're used to talking about as Christians, but, but look at what it goes on to say. Against those who exploit wage earners. What's that talking about? Wage earners, those are the people that get by day to day on what they can earn in their wages. And it says, look, I'm coming for judgment against those who are unwilling to pay enough to their workers. I'm not okay with that. I'm a God of generosity. I'm a God of giving and and justice. And and so if if we're not willing to give enough, and and this isn't talking about some political program to, to raise the wages, but this is talking about you and I as individual Christians. When we have the opportunity to do business with somebody, God says it's to be with generosity. Generosity is huge throughout the Bible. So against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, those who are the most vulnerable in society, God says, I'm not okay with the way that you've been treating the people around you. And I'm not going to let this continue. The good news is he's coming as a what? A refiner. A refiner's purpose is not to destroy the precious metal. The refiner's goal is to refine it to be a beautiful, beautiful piece of silver or whatever they're making. So I'm coming to refine you as silver and gold. And then look at what it goes to next. And against those who turn away an alien or a stranger, ger is the word in Hebrew, that foreigner in your land. Those who, who turn them away, who 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 turn a cold shoulder to people from countries who don't have as much as we have. And again, we've talked about that, that we are not as Christians to, to think that politics has the answer. But as individual Christians, we have a responsibility to be watching out for the needs of the disenfranchised, the needs of those around us who are hurting, and not to say, hey, they deserve to be where they're at. Because if you are saying that this morning, hey, they just, that's tough luck for them. (laughs) Do you see what Jesus is saying? Because I'm coming back for judgment on these specific things. And my heart breaks because I know how much of my life I didn't care for people (laughs) who are in need. And how could I be raised, not to say that there's anything wrong with my, but how could I in any way get it in my mind that, hey, it's tough luck for other people If they don't have what they need, they just need to work harder. God is not okay with that. Because they do not fear me, for the Lord says the Lord of hosts. Get this. This is the good news. Verse 6. Don't miss this. For I am the Lord. I do not change. I do not what? 
I do not change. What does that mean? He's saying, look, my character, it doesn't matter the pressure, it doesn't matter the circumstances, I will always treat you with covenantal love. I will always treat you with relational integrity. I will always put you first. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ said, that I will lay down my life rather than for you to perish. I care about you more than me. And Jesus says, I invite you to have the power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart to have that same exact love for the world around you. Therefore, it says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Look, you've been doing all this stuff that I'm a consuming fire to, to, to this unrighteousness, and yet you're not consumed because I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of love, and I'm not through with you yet. I'm coming as a refiner. I'm not coming to destroy Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return. The word here is shuv, which is often translated repent. Return to me and I will return to you. Just just, just stop going in this direction you're going of oppressing people. Stop going in this direction you're going of not relying upon me, of, of living an adulterous life. And just turn back towards me. That's all I'm asking is to turn towards me. And I will turn towards you. I'm so thankful that this small Christian denomination, 60 years later, it took a long time, but 60 years later, the German Seventh-day Adventist Church got together and they wrote out their apology, their confession of the fact that they had fully endorsed Adolf Hitler. They had endorsed his regime. They had followed with him to the extent where they had They'd given up on their, their commitment to the law of God in thou shalt not murder, and they, they decided it's okay to, 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 to murder in the army. We're not conscientious objectors anymore. They had determined that, hey, it's okay to work on Sabbath if you're in the military and you have to, have to go. They, they began to compromise, like we saw with the welfare program. They began to, to disfellowship Jews who were in their congregation. And I'm highlighting that today because you came to a Seventh-day Adventist gathering this morning. I could highlight that with many other Christian denominations. There are sadly Christians bought into Adolf Hitler in Germany. Not in total, and we'll get to that in a minute, but many did. But thankfully, the Seventh-day Adventist church leader said, hang on, we messed up. And even in the process, here in America, when Holda... Jost came to America. She came on a speaking tour where she was speaking to different Seventh-day Adventists about what was happening in Germany. And she wanted to win favor with Germany. She wanted to go back and report what she was saying about Germany to the United States. And so she began to tell us what an amazing leader Adolf Hitler was, what an amazing system they had there, and that they were only arming themselves to defend themselves. We didn't have to worry about them trying to take over the world. And, and she went on this speaking tour of propaganda. And the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists began to censor her speaking to her. They began to, to, to try to, 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 to handle her speaking to her, realizing that there's something wrong here. And any time that you hear me, you hear any person totally enveloped in a person or a, an ideology of politics, you can beware. You can beware. Because in the end, the only answer comes through a change of heart. And that doesn't mean that we don't vote. That doesn't mean that we don't participate 
in, in, in issues that are important, but what it means is that the only lasting solution is Jesus Christ and the transformation that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see here what he's calling for. He's calling for a, a reformation of heart to take place, a refining of heart to take place that in every way looks to love God and to love people around you. And this is exactly what the prophet uh, John the Baptist came doing. In Luke chapter 3, we read how when, when people came to him saying, oh man, this is really scary. You're saying we're a brood of vipers. What do we do? He said, look, if you have two tunics, that doesn't sound like much to us, but if you have two tunics and you see somebody without one, then share what you have with them. If you have food and somebody else doesn't have food, then share your food with those people. You are indebted to the people around you who don't have because you are a human family. You're one human family. And then you find that in when, when God fulfills what he has promised, that John the Baptist would baptize with water, but, but the important thing is that Jesus is coming and he'll grant you a heart transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. When this takes place in Acts chapter 2, do you know what happens? No longer are they thinking about, okay, Israel, okay, we're going to take care of us here. When do we establish our kingdom? But in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and it comes like tongues of fire, that refining fire that comes down, Look at what happens in verse 6. It says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled to one another. Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? We're foreigners. And, and here they are talking our language. They're, they're, they're caring about our concerns. They, they're communicating in a way that we can understand. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. God came with power to transform hearts, to communicate the gospel with the whole world, with all people, so that they would come to stop being full of their prejudice, their bigotry, and their pride. And then you look at what happens in Acts chapter 2. They're, they're holding all things in common. They're meeting from house to house. They're, there's this close bond of fellowship. And this is the love that God wants to pour out in my heart and your heart for this lost world. And I'm not standing here today as somebody that says, hey, I've arrived at this point. I'm standing here today saying we've got to not rest satisfied. I'm so, can I just be real with you for a minute? I'm so thankful for you as a church family. We got to publish in the bulletin this week that our church budget deficit went down by a large number. And that represents to me the fact that you support our, our work with the farm, our work with the school, the things that are impacting our community, our, our hope clinic, and these types of things. We've still got more to do, obviously, but I have witnessed you again and again be generous. Our church board, when needs are brought to it, they figure out a way to provide for people's needs. Not always monetarily, but figuring out what is the best thing to help people. You are a generous church, and I'm thankful for that. But I can't rest satisfied when there are people dying of hunger on other parts of the planet. I can't rest satisfied knowing 
that there is still a need for wrongs to be righted around me. And I have to say, God, would you fill me with more of your spirit so that I can love like you love? You know, not all Adventists compromised in Germany. In fact, there was a split off from the Adventist church of a group that actually became uh, the Reformed Seventh-day Adventist church. And I'm not here to endorse that because I think that they missed the point of what the general conference was willing to do. But they said, hey, we're not going with those things. There was also other Seventh-day Adventists who remained in the denomination who remained faithful to what God was calling them to do. There were those who sheltered Jews in their own home throughout the war, putting themselves at danger. You know, the reason that the church compromised and began to disfellowship those with Jewish blood was because if, if you were found to have a member who was a Jew, it meant that, first of all, the elder of the church would be taken to prison. His family was endangered. The whole church would be shut down. Everything would be ruined. Your gospel witness in the community. And so they began to make these concessions. But not everybody did. Not everybody folded to the pressure. And God is looking for people today who will stand up and say, I will love until the very end. Not in my strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ. In the book, Acts of the Apostles, it says this, God desires, page 431, God desires his people to prepare for the soon coming crisis. Again and again, the Bible, we see that there is a soon coming crisis on this planet. Prepared or unprepared, they must all meet it. And those only who have brought their lives into conformity to the divine standard will stand firm at the time of test and trial. What is the divine standard? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the way that Jesus loved you. When secular rulers unite with ministers of religion to dictate in matters of conscience, then it will be seen who really fear and serve God. Will we follow after those who are caving in, or will we remain faithful to the Word of God at any cost? When the darkness is deepest, the light of a godlike character. What's a godlike character? God is love. The only noun used to describe him. Those with a loving character will shine the brightest. Those who have relational integrity, who always treat others first, will shine like the will shine the brightest. When every other trust fails, then it will be seen who have an abiding trust in Jehovah. And while the enemies of truth on every side watching the Lord's servants for evil are watching the Lord's servants for evil, God will watch over them for good. He will be to them as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And if you haven't gotten to read the story, A Thousand Shall Fall, this is a German Seventh-day Adventist by the name of Frank Hosel who fought in World War II who refused to carry a gun. He carved himself a wooden pistol and carried it throughout his mission. And do you know that of his entire unit, in the moment I'm just quoting off the top of my head, I think it was like a thousand people. uh, It was over a thousand people. Only three survived. And he was one of those three. Didn't carry a weapon all of the war. In fact, at at the very end of the war, they, they were surrendering their weapons because they had surrendered to, to uh, the, 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 um, the allied forces. And as they're surrendering their weapons, his commanders look at him as he takes this wooden pistol and tops it, drops it on top of this pile of guns. Like, what are you doing? What, are you, what is that? Oh, well, that's been my gun this whole time. And the American soldiers around him are like, are you serious? This guy fought the entire war, didn't fight, 
with a wooden pistol in his pocket. A guy who remained faithful and pointing people to the Word of God, to, to Bible prophecy, and saying, hey, Germany isn't going to be able to take over the world. That's just the case. And his, his commanding officer siphoned gas because he trusted that this guy was a man of character and he knew what he was talking about. And their unit was able to retreat better than any other unit. Here's a guy who remained faithful to the law of God's love, no matter what. But you know, there's another story, a final story I want to tell you about a man named Max Israel, uh, uh, Max Israel Monk. Max Israel Monk was disfellowshipped by the Seventh-day Adventist Church because he's a Jew. It breaks my heart to have to say that. But Max was disfellowshipped by the Seventh-day Adventist Church because he was a Jew and they were afraid of what might happen to their church as a result. He was taken to two different concentration camps during World War II. Put through all of that torture, all of that hell, because his church left him, left him alone. But you know what he did after he got out of the concentration camps? He went back to his church. He said, I'm not going to treat you the way that you treated me. And he rejoined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You see, that's the kind of love that God is wanting you and I to have. A love that listens to people around us who are spouting off crazy things right now and says, you know what, I'm just going to keep loving you to the end. A love that sees the good in other people. A love that is willing to sacrifice of our own earthly goods in order to benefit their good. That's the power that Jesus is longing to unleash in our hearts. And this morning, there's a cry in my heart. A cry for more. A cry for more of Jesus' love in my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and that our church would become an even more loving church. Because you know the good news is? You never arrive at a line of love. You can arrive at certain lists and checklists in your mind of things not to do, but when it comes to loving proactively the world around you, there's always more that God can do through you. There's an infinite amount of love that you can share with this world because you have an infinite God of love. I want to close in prayer and then we'll listen to a song, The Cry of My Heart. It's for your glory to fall, for, for your presence to fill up my senses. And as you do that, remember that this is the God of love and justice and mercy who wants to give you his heart that was willing to lay down his life for Jews, for Americans, and for every other person on this planet. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the amazing God of love that you are. Lord, please forgive me for the voices that I listen to that lead me to unfaithfulness, to compromise on your law of love. Lord, I recognize that relational integrity this, this love that always puts others first is the only power in the universe powerful enough to fix what ails this society. And yet, God, I act selfishly far too often. So I ask for forgiveness, Father. And I ask for that gift of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Would you please pour out your Spirit? Would your presence fill us? Would you make us your sanctuary? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.